Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yanyan. Today we're going to be talking about paradoxes in the Word of God and in the Christian life. What is a paradox? Well, it's a statement that seemingly contradicts itself. We become wise by becoming foolish. And you know what? We prosper by actually giving away. Those things don't seem to make sense, but they make sense to a Christian. And we'll take a look at it from the Word of God. Join me today. Paradoxes in the Christian life. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and something to take notes with and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Good to have you here today. I like always greeting those people that are joining me for the first time, but let me just give a double, triple hallelujah for all of you that are listening for the 70th time, the 50th time, the 110th time, those of you that are gluttons for the Word of God. You just can't get enough. So not only do I speak on a subject here, man, you order the book, you order the CD series, and you just, you know, you just listen to them in the car, no matter where you are. One lady told me, older lady, at the end of a meeting came and bought, and she bought a flash drive. She didn't know what a flash drive was, but her grandchild was standing there with her. And so she said, what is this thing? And I said, well, it, it'll work in your laptop. She says, I don't have a laptop. And I said, it'll work in your car. And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, there's, a, she said, there's no place to plug that in. And the granddaughter said, yes, there is grandma. She said, it's inside your glove box in the middle of, in between the seats. She said, that's where it is. You'll find, she said, I know how to do that. And I, she said, okay. So she bought that thing. That night she came back and the lady came up to me with a grin on her face. Said, you know what happens? When I turn the ignition off, it stops. And when I turn the ignition back, it takes up right where it left off. And I'm thinking, that's what it's supposed to do, ma'am. But it was such a blessing to see that she like entered into a whole new dimension, you know, because she didn't even know her car would handle those things. And she loved the fact that one flash drive would handle so much material, she didn't have to keep replacing CDs, CDs, CDs. So again, this is just some of the great things. And this is the type of reports I love to hear from you. My supporters, mine, that those that just, you know, you're, like I said, gluttons for the word of God. And so again, thank you for being with me here today. If you'd like to be a glutton for the word, of God and be a supporter of my broadcast and just go to my website, bobyandian.com. There you'll find a place where you can become a partner with me and join me and all these gluttons around you that love the word of God. You can join us together and help support this because your financial support sends this around the world through printed material, recorded material, and also television. So again, thank you so much. Today, I want to talk to you about paradoxes in the word of God. This is something the world loves to do to us is find something that seemingly in the word of God contradicts itself. Or here's a verse and a little bit later, it says almost exactly the opposite. And we're taken off guard by it. Oftentimes we're taken so much off guard that what happens is we're left off balance and don't know what to do. And so we begin to doubt the word of God. Let me say this, your whole Christian life, you're going to find things that seemingly contradict things in the word of God. You're going to find this scripture. And then Jesus said this, and Paul said that. And like on marriage, we have so many people say, well, Jesus said this, and Paul said this, who are you going to believe in marriage? Both of them. It's what I'm going to believe. Say, yeah, but they don't match each other. Hang on. It will. All I'm telling you is if you find a in the Bible, and it looks like B opposes. And hang on, A and B are both correct. You just haven't found how, how they work together, how they mingle together, because the Word of God cannot and never does contradict itself any more than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit can contradict themselves. I guarantee you, if it was possible to isolate the Father and put him in one corner, isolate Jesus, put him in another corner, and isolate the Holy Spirit into another corner, and go and ask all three of them the same question, you get exactly the same answer. But but 
But sometimes in the Word of God, the same answer doesn't look like the same answer. It seemingly contradicts. My wife loves to watch Jeopardy. And one day they had a, a column on there about Paul the Apostle. And so I thought, well, that'd be an interesting one. And they came down. And you know what it said? It said he contradicted himself. He contradicted himself. And so this was on Paul. Actually, there was a number of when this, this particular box was on Paul. It said he contradicted himself when he said that every man must bear his own burdens and then bear ye one another's burdens. He said he contradicted himself. My first thought was, huh? I knew that was Paul. I knew that was even in the book of Galatians. I knew it was there, but I'd never had anybody take those two, put them next to each other and say, see, he contradicted himself. And my first thought was, wait a minute. And then then I went and looked it up. And you know what? Two different Greek words. Every man must bear his own light weights for Tion. This is the the verse that Jesus used, the word Jesus used when he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But the other word for burden was a heavy, heavy burden. And in that case, we must bear one another's burdens. Whenever things come into your life and your life is so overwhelmed, we need to go and help to lift up another person's burdens until they finally get the strength they can carry it themselves and they can become a lightweight again. So God was simply saying your daily walk with me is a lightweight, but if it ever gets to where you're totally bound and you're about to be crushed by the problems of life and crushed even by what Christians think around you, have others come and help you for the moment. So it didn't contradict itself. The two worked with each other. And my first thought was how many young Christians are watching this day going, Paul contradicted himself. No, he didn't. Hang in there. If it takes two years, three years, five years, the explanation will come and you'll be glad you stuck with God or wait till eternity where Jesus can go, no, 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 no. This is what was meant and the it could be. Even the guys that wrote it, the New Testament writers, the Greek explanations of it didn't quite come across. Go grab another translation and look it up and see because God delights in answering these questions. What is a paradox? Somebody said to me one time, it's two doctors. No, it's not. The word paradox, the word para means beside and dox means opinion. So it's almost like two opinions standing side by side, which seemingly contradict each other and oftentimes seems to be a contradiction to common sense. But many times a paradox is another way of looking at what common sense says is true. Once explained, a paradox can not only be true and make sense, it can suddenly make the whole Bible in other sections begin to make sense too. Here's an example. To say that you can get closer to a fire and get colder would be a paradox. Yet, if you climb a mountain, you get closer to the sun, but you become colder. You even go higher in an airplane or a rocket and touch the stratosphere and, and start leaving the, the atmosphere of this earth and go into outer space brings you even closer to the sun. Yet it's even colder than being on a mountaintop. In the Christian life, there's also spiritual paradoxes. God has put them there that once we understand it, it doesn't contradict God. God isn't contradicting himself. It basically comes back to this. We're gonna contradict what the world says because the world says it this way, but I'm gonna show you how I think it. And again, it's having to change your thinking. Actually, the course of the Christian life is the renewing of the mind because we've been taught this is the way the world thinks for 30 years. Now we get born again and suddenly you have to start taking and turning this thing around. And oftentimes in the early days of your Christian life, you get so baffled because why? The Christian life seems to contradict the natural way of life. But you know what? That's what God intended. Stick with God and one day you'll begin to find out, well, for 30 years I was going the wrong direction. Now I'm going upstream, but upstream is the right way to go. 
And this is what God wants us to have. So again, in the Christian life, there's spiritual paradoxes, but God has placed them there which seemingly contradict the world's way of thinking and often does. And sometimes our own common sense, yet they're absolutely true. And let's take a look at a few. First of all, Christianity is not a religion. Why do I say that? Because the world simply says it's a religion. It's a religion and we take them for, we take it for granted. Okay. Christianity is just another religion. Christianity is not a religion at all. All religions in this world are simply Satan's counterfeit for the truth of the relationship between us and Jesus Christ. And so what he wants to do is simply lump it in with all other religions and say, well, what makes yours right and all these people wrong over here? Because there's only one truth and all the rest of them are imitations. And so it comes back to this. Again, Christianity is not a religion. Let me give you a point on that. Following a religion makes you a member of that religion. To follow the teachings of Muhammad makes you a Muslim. To follow the teachings of Buddha will make you a Buddhist. But following the life and teachings of Jesus Christ will not make you a Christian. Just because you follow the Bible, go to church, doesn't make you a Christian. But if you follow Muhammad and his teaching, you're a Muslim. If you follow the teachings of Buddha, you're a Buddhist. But just going to church, opening your Bible, reading a few things about Jesus will not make you a Christian. You must be born again, not of blood, that's hereditary, nor of flesh by human works, nor of man, someone else's beliefs in religion, but of God. You must be born again. Christianity is not just something you follow follow and you're suddenly a follower of Jesus. No, it takes an absolute total miracle to make you a Christian by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In Christianity, life does not produce faith, but faith does produce eternal life. A paradox again, once understood is no longer a paradox. After salvation, we find many paradoxes in the word of God, which when accepted and then eventually understood, gives the Christian life a totally new meaning. They bring much confusion in the life of many Christians. That's because they try to momentarily, immediately look at the two and say, how in the world can A equal B? How can B equal A? If you live, give it long enough to God, you'll find out he will show you. And once you see the revelation of it, I see that. I'm gonna give you a story. Uh, there was a, there's something in the Bible I don't like, I didn't like. I mean, I know maybe I haven't reached your level yet. And you've got, you've got, you say, well, there's nothing in the Bible confuses me. Well, I still have a few left, but one by one, they're getting knocked down the list, okay? And one of them was, why did Jesus spit on the blind man? I could not understand that. I mean, I thought he must have had miracle spit, spiritual spit, uh, you know, magic spit. I couldn't understand it. And I kept thinking, this is just doesn't make sense. Why in any culture is spitting on somebody wrong, but in this particular case, it was right. So I just accepted kind of for a while, but anyway, it finally so irritated me one day, I was reading the story and I decided, you know what? I'm gonna look throughout the Bible. I'm a Bible teacher. I couldn't find there was anything good about spitting anywhere. In the Old Testament, if you were spit on, you had to go outside the camp, get cleaned, and then brought back in for a time of purification. That's how bad it was. In the New Testament, when they spit on Jesus, that wasn't a compliment. No, they spit on him because they despised him and hated them. And it says in Revelation, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're not, I'm gonna have to spit you out of my mouth. It doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. There's nothing pleasing about your life when you're just lukewarm. 
And yet it's not a it's not a sign of how wonderful God thinks you are. He says, I spit you out. You know what? You go down to Starbucks and they have hot drinks and cold drinks, but they don't have lukewarm drinks. It's just something that wouldn't sell. And God simply says, I wish you were hot or cold. Well, it finally got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. And one day I decided maybe I should pray about this. You ever got to that point? Maybe I should pray. So I thought maybe I should pray about this thing. So I actually, and I expected it might take a year, two years for God to answer, but I put it before I said, Lord, I want to know why you spit on this blind man. And the Lord spoke to me immediately. I mean, immediately said, I didn't spit on the blind man. I said, it says right here, you spit on the blind man. And the Lord spoke to me again and said, I did not spit on the blind man. I spit on the blindness. Oh my Lord, it swept all over me. Jesus was spitting on something he despised, not the man, not the man's eyes. He spit on the blindness that the man was there. And it suddenly made so much sense to me. No wonder the Bible says he loves righteousness, but he hates iniquity. It's all right to be a hater of iniquity. It's all right to be a lover of the good things of God. And so this again woke me up to it. And suddenly I begin to see, and I, now I take my time. If I see things that seem like they're a contradiction, I go, they are not a contradiction. Those two work together, even though I cannot see it. And once I do, a whole new area of revelation is going to open up to me. As soon as we come back from the break, we'll come right back to this. In the meantime, what I'm offering to you is my flash drive on the subject of guidance. See you right after the break. Christians often ask, how can I know the voice of the Lord? Or how do I get His guidance? Pastor Bob Yandian's series, Guidance, will help set you on the right path to hearing from God and knowing what comes from Him and what doesn't. We often make the mistake of wanting God to lead us by wonders and outward signs, when the vast majority of His guidance actually comes through the Word of God and the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. We must come to understand that we do not have the ability to guide ourselves, just as we do not have the ability to save ourselves or heal ourselves. Guidance explores the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit and examines in detail the two ways God leads His children. To order the Guidance series, our website at bobbyendian.com. Theology Simplified. This is a class I teach at Karis Bible College. And I've been waiting to put this into a book. It's eight different theological terms that sound difficult but actually are very simple. I just simply think the Bible sometimes is filled with complicated sounding words, but you break it down, it becomes very simple. This book is called Theology Simplified. Let me tell you what all it covers. It covers predestination. It covers reconciliation and sanctification. It covers glorification, justification. Redemption, propitiation, and election are all covered in this book. And again, big words with simple meanings. I bring it down to you. Go to my website, bobbyandian.com. You'll find how you can have a copy for your Self. Blessings upon blessings to you. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. 
Well, welcome back, all you wonderful friends and partners with me here in the teachings from the Word of God each and every day. You come as a student of the Word. I come to teach you the Word of God, but you know what? You can't be a teacher without learning at the same time. I teach things which I've taught so many times, and yet as I'm teaching it a second, third, fourth, tenth time, I go, my Lord, this thing is so deep. I thought I understood this thing, and all of a sudden a whole new area begins to open up. All the fascination of the Word of God, the fascination of the mind of Christ. That's another term for the understanding of the Word of God is the mind of Christ, that you can actually think like Jesus thinks. You can have the mind, the thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ and look at the circumstances of life, not as the world sees it, not as Satan sees it, not even as a carnal Christian sees it. You see it with clarity from the Word of God. This is the purpose of the Word of God. We're talking about paradoxes. And again, I left with this in the first half, a paradox once understood is no longer a paradox. After salvation, we find many, quote, paradoxes in the word of God. These are statements which seemingly contradict themselves. So after salvation, we find many paradoxes, which once accepted and then eventually understood, give the Christian life a meaning but they bring much confusion into the life of many Christians because they just won't wait long enough. And their first thought is, oh, the Bible contradicts itself. And so many at that time have to make a choice. Is this really God's word or not? Well, maybe it's filled. And you go down this list of things, make up your mind from the beginning. There is no confusion in the word of God. There is no such thing as a paradox in the word of God. These two, although they seem like they contradict each other, actually are one thought. I just need to figure out how these things fit together and you will. The world loves to take the seeming contradictions of God's word and then use them to convince us against Jesus and say, see, the Bible's no different than any other book. It was written by people. Therefore, with all those authors, then we have Isaiah contradicting what Paul said, which contradicted what Jesus said. And here you look at this thing as something special. Understand the Bible's no different than any other religious book in the world. The answer is yes, it is. is the mind of Christ. It is the word of God and no other book written out there is the word of God. No other book lives and abides forever. No other book will stand the test of time and eternity. And when heaven and earth has passed away, God's word will still be here. Why? Because the word of God is as eternal as God himself. There's a time we got a writing of it, but the word of God has existed from eternity past. Never had a beginning because it is the mind of Christ, the thinking of God, and has always been there. Just because some author named Moses started the first five books of the Bible doesn't mean that's when the Bible began. The Bible has always been here as the mind of Christ. It is eternal. Let's talk about some of this seeming contradiction from the word of God. And we'll talk about how these are clarified from the word of God also. The Christian life, you gain freedom through slavery. Boy, slavery is a big issue today. We go back and look at the evils of slavery and things like that. The human race is in slavery. Why? Because you're born into slavery. And we talk about slavery and we talk about those poor people enough in our own country, you know, that, that were born into slavery and all this kind of stuff and how we need to set them free. Well, the point of it is the whole human race is born into slavery. Adam and Eve put us in the slave market. And because they did, we're born there, but Jesus came to deliver us and set us outside of that. And so, but once you're set outside the slave market, there's a voluntary slavery that you come to Jesus and you simply, as Paul pointed out, 
Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Timothy, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And this isn't one you're born into. You're born into freedom, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. But as a free person, I can come back to the Lord and say, Lord, I wanna become a voluntary slave of yours. I know that how you're treating me will be wonderful, but Lord, not only do I wanna just be saved, I wanna actually come back to that point where I trusted you as my Lord. And I wanna give my life to you as Lordship but I want to follow you. This is again, entering into bondage seemingly to the world, but it's not a bondage. It's a freedom like you've never had before. And again, the Christian gains freedom through slavery. All right. So the new birth makes a person free in Christ. Then after salvation, only the truth of God's word allows a person to remain free. Again, whom the son has set free is free indeed. Every person saved or unsaved, has a master. Bob Dylan wrote about it. And he said, you got to serve someone. Well, the point of it is, is if you're a sinner, you're serving Satan. You might call him something like Buddha. You might follow him to come somewhere over here, you know, different religions and all that that you find around the world. But I'm here to tell you, once you get born again, you still have to serve someone. And as a Christian, you have a right to serve God or continue to serve your own flesh or continue to serve Satan. But God says, I want you to get born again and give yourself to me as a slave and understand that I am your master, a bondservant to me. And even in the Old Testament, they, the, the slavery, once they took a person in slavery that they, that they had gained by, by, you know, mastery over another nation, they brought them in and they won a war. They could only keep the slaves for so long. But after a person had been a slave for so long, they were allowed to become a voluntary slave. They took an all and they pressed a hole in the ear lobe right here to where a person could see it. And that hole in the ear simply means I have made myself a voluntary servant of the master I had before because he treated me so well and took care of me so well. And I wanna just give my life to him from now on to be a servant to him. You see, you gave your life to Jesus Christ and he set you free, but after that you have a choice. And that choice is I can become a voluntary servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, or as Paul said again, of he and others in the New Testament, bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We had no choice of being a slave to Satan. Yet once freed by Jesus, we had the choice to accept slavery to him as our master and our Lord realizing something. Satan was an evil, terrible taskmaster, but Jesus Christ is a loving, kind, benevolent person to me. And I wanna voluntarily give myself to him free Freedom then is so great, it cannot even be measured. Whoever's the greatest among you, let him be the servant of the Lord and a servant to others. Because the moment I make myself a servant to Jesus Christ, I also make myself a servant to those that God has entrusted into my life, sinners to receive Jesus and Christians to be instructed by my life. Let's go on to the next one. The Christian sees the invisible. You see, you read that verse of scripture out of 1 Corinthians, you go, huh? How can we see something that's invisible? Well, the Christian has a new set of spiritual senses he's never had before. He sees the invisible assets that God has given to us, righteousness, eternal life, forgiveness. Moses lived as seeing him who is invisible. It didn't say he saw him, who was, he lived as if he saw it every single day. And once in a while, he got to see into that realm of 
over there. I've never got to look into the spiritual realm. I've been saved all my life and Jesus Christ has never come into my room at night and answered my questions and sat beside me on the bed, although there's times I really wish he would because I thought I needed an answer immediately, but no, the answer came at the right time. Yet I hear ministers talk about the fact they went into their bedroom and Jesus was there and talked to them for quite a while. And ministers that I I, I love and, and many have gone to be with the Lord, but man, I mean, I hear those stories sometimes, they what am I, you know? chop liver or something? Why won't God appear to me? The point of it is, it comes back to this, you don't need him to appear to you because why? You see what seemingly is invisible and you follow after that. What is it the invisible assets we follow after? The word of God. If the word of God says it, it's true, it's mine. I can walk in it every single day. And one day I find this is your eyes can deceive you and your ears can deceive you. What you see may not really be there. What you hear may not be the truth, but if you follow after God's word, it'll cut through all of the stuff of life, all of the lies of life. And when you understand the word of God, you'll clearly see with spiritual eyes, not with natural eyes, spiritual eyes, you'll see the answer on the other side. Whether you physically see it or not will not become the issue because you know why? We walk by faith and not by our natural sight that we have here. We see the things which are not seen by human beings. The things which are seen are temporary. We're told in 1 Corinthians 5, the things which are not seen are eternal. We find rest, here's the next one, we find rest by taking on a burden. That's a seeming contradiction. That's a paradox. Come to Jesus and he will take your burden. We find rest by taking on a burden. And the burden we take on, it by coming to Jesus, we first of all take our burden of sin and all that and give it to him. But then he gives us a burden. And that's take my yoke upon you, you'll find rest to your souls. Once that we had the burden of sin, Jesus removed it once and for all, but now we take the burden of Jesus and we find rest instead of heaviness. The rest we find in our life simply comes back to this. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so we come to him and he offers us eternal life. He said, and so I get to give you my great heaviness of sin and the heaviness of not being able to live as I'm supposed to. And the moment that I do that, he gives me back a burden, which is light, easy to carry. And so again, it comes back to this. And that is we find rest in Jesus by taking on his burden. Next of all, we conquer by yielding or giving up. Now I know that doesn't make much sense, but it's true in the word of God. The giving up is of our own strength and of our own wisdom. When we tackle a problem, we can look at it and go, oh, I can figure this out. No, you can't. Even as a Christian, in your own strength, in your own wisdom, you can't figure out anything. It takes the power of God in your life. So the giving up of our own strength and wisdom to the Lord actually helps us to gain strength and helps us to gain understanding. We conquer by yielding or giving up. The submission is to the power and wisdom of Jesus Christ and to the Holy Spirit. I realize something. I am now born again. That doesn't make me any smarter. My smarts come through the Holy Spirit. My smarts come through the word of God and the wisdom of Jesus Christ. By taking this on in my life and submitting to his power, now in his weakness, Paul found God's power to conquer the problems and the trials of life. In my own personal weakness, I simply look at it and say, Lord, I can't handle this. Give me your power. Give me your ability. Give me your wisdom. And we'll find out we can come through any conquering 
power of life that looks like it's about to destroy us and will not destroy us. It says in Romans chapter eight, what shall we then say to these things? We speak to things, yes. Jesus spoke to mountains, he spoke to fig trees, he spoke, he spoke to sickness and disease and it says we speak to things also. What do we say to these things? If God be for me, you cannot be against me. What is it simply meaning? My financial problems look bigger than me. My physical problems look weaker than, or bigger than me. All the problems of life, I couldn't overcome them if I, if I tried with everything I had within me. But I don't try with everything I have within me. I give up and I realize when I am weak, then I become strong through Jesus Christ by taking on his power. We can only do all things when it comes through Christ. Only by humbling ourselves can we be exalted. And it finally comes back to the final thing here. We gain wisdom through foolishness. Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? God has made foolishness the wisdom of this world. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. What is the wisdom of God? It's the word of God. What's the foolishness of the world? It's still the word of God. They look at this as foolishness. I see it as the wisdom, the power, and the deliverance of the Lord. How about you? Let's walk together in the things of God and I'll see you next time. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.